You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. We're about to hear a scripture reading now. Maya Gerard is going to read that for us this morning. It's a story that Jesus tells that's part of a collection of stories that Jesus is telling in Matthew's gospel about being prepared, being ready, anticipating the coming of God's kingdom on earth and how we might live that out. So as we prepare to hear this scripture, I'd invite you to join me in an attitude of prayer, if you will, for just a second. Let's pray together. God, gives, give us fresh ears to hear this scripture passage. May we approach it with fresh eyes and seeking your wisdom in all things. Amen. Let's listen to Maya read these words. A reading from the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaid came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I recently watched a TV series called Alone on Netflix. It started on the History Channel. This is its sixth season, so I'm a little bit late to the party. Some of you may be more familiar with it than I was. The premise of the show is that each participant, and there are ten, selects 10 items to help them live alone in the wild. And then each person is taken into the wilderness and they are left there with a video camera to see who can last in the wilderness the longest. And they make their own fires, they create their own shelter, they do their own hunting or fishing, and they try to survive this mental challenge of living by themselves off of the land. I found this fascinating. This was just so far beyond anything that I have ever been even tempted to try. And the people, of course, on this show, they're all experts. They're like former Marines. They're people who have lived in the woods for years on their own prior to the show. They're people who really know what they're doing, and they say that at the beginning of every episode. These are trained survival experts. Please do not attempt The weird part about the show, though, is that it is a competition. The last person who's left standing wins some prize money, but nobody can see anybody else in the competition because you're alone. That's the name of the show. 
and the only people that they see are the medical teams who come in to check on them periodically. The entire premise of the show is that these people have to make it on their own. And as I watched, I kept thinking, this is why humans don't try to make it on their own. This show is why. Because <laughs> you watch as people make weird decisions. They eat something and you go, you should not do that. And then it ends up poorly. Or they have accidents and you can see it coming on the video clip. Or you think, you know, if these people had a teammate, if they had somebody else with them out there in the wilderness, they would not be doing this thing that is dumb, that is causing them problems two or three or four days later. Typically, people have to leave this show because they don't have enough resources. They can't get enough food, things like that. Clean water, clean uh, enough energy to keep going on. Because on the show, they have to create everything for themselves. There's no one they can lean on. There is no support system. There's nobody to pick up the slack if they're having a bad day. And that's sort of the image that we're left with when we finish this bridesmaid story. Each one was personally challenged with coming up with their own resources, and when they didn't have enough oil, it was like a personal failure. That is one way of reading this story. Can you imagine how they felt running out into the night going, I don't know where I'm going to find this, but I got to find it. I don't know where I'm going to get more oil, but I got to try. Well, I think we sort of do know that feeling, don't we? Many of us can hopefully laugh about it now because it's a few months ago, but we remember walking down the grocery aisles earlier this year, shocked that all the toilet paper was gone. And not just the toilet paper, it was the paper towels, it was the napkins, it was anything remotely similar to toilet paper. We know that feeling that the bridesmaids may have had because we're walking down that aisle thinking, wow, I didn't get here fast enough. I didn't realize how quickly things were moving here. And it felt, at least to me, like a bit of a personal affront when I couldn't purchase the thing that I needed. Maybe you felt that way too. Even though it wasn't really about me, it wasn't really about you, it was about this larger systemic issue of many people doing something. Now, paired with that, the thing that we haven't talked about quite as much are the emotions that we collectively felt once the issue of scarcity started to become less of an issue. Now, what I mean by that is paper products started to return to the shelves. You remember that. How many of us felt a little bit of anxiety driving us to buy more than we needed simply because we couldn't get it a couple weeks or a couple months before? Like... I better buy this now before it runs out. How many of us, when we saw that limit one sign, were wondering, at least for a second, could I buy two without anybody noticing? Should I buy one and come back and buy another? That's what anxiety and scarcity does to us. Some of us might have even gone to the stores and checked certain aisles just because, like, because there were things we couldn't get for a brief time and we felt that sense of worry, that sense of need, that sense of maybe anticipated need that wasn't even uh, a factual thing, but we felt it, we felt that way. Now, the original audience to Jesus' story about these bridesmaids probably wouldn't have heard it as a meditation on scarcity they would have heard it as a story about preparing for the coming of God's kingdom or the 
preparing for God's presence among us. Sometimes we use the language preparing for God's return. Matthew's gospel has several references to those who are wise versus those who are foolish, and there's this ongoing storyline about the people who were ready or prepared and the people who were not. But as I read the story now through the lens of 2020, I have questions. I have questions. Maybe you do too. And even for Jesus' original audience, this story would have been a little bit strange. Other, red, other wedding stories in Scripture, they don't contain references to waiting for a groom. Now, maybe that's because the groom was trying to sort out the bride price, which is another thing that to us in 2020 feels like a strange, archaic practice because it is. But regardless, the bride isn't mentioned at all in this particular scripture, so where is she? What is she doing? And then why does the groom not appear until the very middle of the night? That feels sort of strange and contrived, even if there is some kind of delay. And then similarly, why do the foolish bridesmaids run out into the night thinking that shops are going to be open where they can buy oil? This was not a reality in Jesus' time. Why not just stick around and wait to see what might happen next. Other questions, like why does every single bridesmaid need her own lamp if everybody is celebrating in the same room together? I mean, sure, it would be a little bit darker, but a couple extra people without their own lamp is not going to make or break this situation. And perhaps most importantly, I want to know, did those bridesmaids who had enough oil, did they really not have the capacity to share any of what they had? Or is it just some scarcity thinking that's keeping them from offering to these other bridesmaids? If they're worried about not having enough, it's sort of hard to blame them. We know that feeling. (laughs) We know that intimately in 2020, even if it's for silly reasons like paper products. There are potentially dangerous ways to interpret this scripture passage because if we misread this story, it can seem to imply that we should all be creating our own personal stockpile of things that we might need without looking to the needs of our neighbors. And we have to admit that's a strong impulse in many of us when it feels like resources may not be readily available or it feels like things are unpredictable, like who knows what's going to happen next. And there are certain strains within Christianity who would have us believe that that is what we should be doing, gathering extra supplies for ourselves just in case to secure our own future. But that's not the point of this story that Jesus is telling. And we know it's not because a few verses later in Matthew 25, 31, Jesus offers another illustration about a king. And it's talking about God's return as well. And you may remember this passage. It's uh, a series of words that may be familiar to many of us. The king says, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was sick. You cared for me. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You gave me clothing. And the passage goes on to say, whenever you did these things, whenever you fed the hungry, whenever you clothed the naked, you visited those in prison, you cared for the sick, Whenever you did those things for the least among you, you did them for me. Jesus continually reminds us to care for the vulnerable among us, for those who may not have enough among us. And this image of caring for the hungry and the sick and those without clothing, it's diametrically opposed 
to fear-based messages that encourage us to hoard things. In Matthew 23, just a couple chapters before our reading today, Jesus talks about the most humble being exalted. He preaches about justice and mercy and the contrast of the Pharisees who seem intent on locking people out while Jesus uses this imagery of wanting to be a mother hen who gathers everyone in under her wings. In Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked about the most important commandment, he says, you gotta love God and you've gotta love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two most important things. So many scholars believe that this story about the lamps is intended to send a different kind of message about God's kingdom. It's not a story about those who got to Kroger quickest and got to get the oil first. It's not a literal story at all about physical lamps. This is a story about internal spiritual work. Imagine that each of us has within us a small flame. The fire within us is fed through acts that help us to connect to God. Prayer, reading scripture, worship. More than that, the flame is fed through acts that help others. Donating to our food pantry, listening to a friend who's going through a tough time, helping a neighbor rake leaves or shovel snow. Each of those acts changes us. Each of those acts gives us a little bit more oil in our symbolic lamp. A bit more fuel to keep us going. John Wesley, the one who started the Methodist movement, used language talking about works of piety and works of mercy. And those words sometimes conjure up very churchy images for us. They're not words that we use in our daily language. But piety is simply another word for devotion or faith, something that draws us closer to God. And mercy, in our tradition, is a word that's trying to get us at a sense of compassion and generosity. We know those words, generosity, compassion, growing closer to God. Those are all much more familiar terms for us. These works of piety or works of, of faith are things that help us connect with our creator. John Wesley believed these practices could be personal. They also could be communal, things that we do together. Personal practices that draw us closer to God might include things like prayer, like walking a, a labyrinth, like going on a walk outside in nature maybe, um, writing in a journal. They don't have to be very strange outside of the box things. They can be commonplace everyday things because they're intended to be. They're intended to be things that we do on a regular basis that help connect us with the spiritual. Even praying before a meal, praying before we go to bed, that kind of thing. Now, in community, we might do things like attending a Bible study, tuning in to worship, um, participating in the celebration of a baptism, Works of mercy, meanwhile, those acts of compassion or generosity, to use another word, those can include things like helping repair a house for somebody in the congregation or, or far beyond these walls. Packing boxes of food, that's, a, that's an act of mercy or compassion, generosity. Advocating for changes in laws so that those who are poor or sick can be protected. 
participating in programs that help kids, mentoring, tutoring, all those kinds of things, working to become anti-racist and educating ourselves. All of those things fit into this fold of works of mercy. And this work that we do to help others, to educate ourselves, it helps us grow in our faith. It adds fuel to our lamp. And whether it's a prayer walk um, or reading a book on justice issues, calling up a friend to check on them, doing yard work or home improvements for somebody. These are the things that fill up our tank, our lamp, if we want to use the imagery from Jesus' parable. And John Wesley called these things means of grace, practices, channels that help us encounter the holy, the sacred, the set-apart, And we don't always use those words, right? Like a parent asks us to help with a task around the house. We don't think of that naturally, perhaps, as a spiritual thing, but it can be. It can be something that helps us grow in our faith, as simple as that. These daily tasks, these daily things we do to help others, they are spiritual. Because helping others, caring for others, even in little ways, becomes part of who we are as people who follow Jesus. The things that we do strengthen us in our faith. They're like the oil that keeps our lamp burning. And only in this allegorical context then does it make sense as to why some of the bridesmaids didn't share with the others. Perhaps it wasn't that they didn't want to, but that they couldn't. Have you ever wished you could offer someone the faith or the hope to get through a difficult time? There are things that we can share with one another, and then there are things that we simply can't share. None of us can take the flame of our own personal faith and directly transfer it to someone else and expect that it's going to burn the same for them as it burns for us, even though we may desperately wish that that were true. Instead, the invitation is to walk alongside someone who's going through a difficult time, knowing that our faith can be a witness and our actions can be a support. What happens in this story is things get difficult. Things take a lot longer than what the bridesmaids may have expected. The darkness, the waiting, the night, lasts longer than anyone thinks that it will. Everyone starts the story with a lamp full of oil, ready to go. It's just that some of them find themselves running on empty more quickly. The story then becomes an invitation. We know that the night is going to grow long, and we don't know exactly how long. We're told uh, we need to kind of be on our toes. We don't know, so we need to prepare ourselves spiritually. And Jesus tells us that whatever we're waiting for, whether it's something personal or whether it is that bigger picture, God's kingdom coming on earth, it might take longer than we wish that it would. And there will be moments when we may wonder whether or not our oil is going to hold out, whether we're going to make it, whether we're going to last through the night. So we're invited in this moment top off our spiritual fuel, our spiritual energy level. 
by helping other people, by reconnecting with God, by doing what we can to alleviate suffering in others, in our community, and in our world, by educating ourselves on matters of justice, by setting aside time to just be with our families, by sharing food with other people's families. We don't need to fear that we won't have enough fuel to last. Like these women that go running off into the night, like chickens with their heads cut off, hoping to find what they need at the last minute and ending up missing out on the big event, missing out on the party. Instead, every day, we're called to fill our lamp little by little by little, one act at a time. So join me today, this week, by filling up your lamp, by serving others. Try to do something every day. If you already do that naturally, challenge yourself to do a little something extra. Our work is to help others. Our work is to love God and love others as ourself. And that's what's gonna give us fuel. That's what's gonna provide the oil. That is what will sustain us and keep us going. Let's be people who look out for others, who help those in need, who care deeply for our neighbors and who love God. And in that way, our fuel is guaranteed to last however long it takes for us to get to where God is taking us. Maybe so for each one of us. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.